The Merchant Adventurer, written and narrated by Patrick E. McLean. I am the Chosen One. Only I can bring peace and restore balance to the land, said the blonde knight in shining TM armor. You still don't understand, said the ranger clad in mail. He hiked up his sleeve and showed the mark that was burned into his arm. This symbol of the cruel god Azaz signifies. Azaz my ass, that whore of your mother spilled bacon fat on you when you were a child. The men drew swords and faced off. But before either of them could swing, a thin man, dressed in faded black, stepped between them. He said, Please, my lords, please, we mustn't fight amongst ourselves. Out of my way, Radic! You are but a hireling, cried the ranger. It is my destiny to run him through. Your destiny? Don't be absurd. I am the chosen one, shrieked the knight. Perhaps, said Radic, you have both been chosen. They stopped to consider this possibility. Radic pressed on. We go to face a mighty foe, a powerful wizard in a deep dungeon. Perhaps all others have failed, not because they didn't have a chosen one, but because they didn't have enough chosen ones. I am the chosen one, they both shouted simultaneously. Okay, thought Radic. That was a mistake. Best to let the morons fight it out. But before he could step off the field of idiocy, or battle, the enchantress chimed in. Don't talk to him like that. She said, he is a member of this party. Moreover, the sacred vows I have taken at the shrine of Loranda means that I must treat all beings with courtesy and respect and eat nothing that has a face, she intoned with reverence. Surprisingly, this worked. The men lowered their swords and apologized, apologized to each other. Radek stared longingly at the enchantress. She was beautiful. Her curves were accentuated by the belt of gold rings that encircled her hips and the massive ruby that gleamed from between her breasts. Perhaps there was a way he could... No, better not to think of such things. Forgive me, good Radic, said the knight as his head bowed. Though it is true that we have hired you to guide us to the lair of the foul wizard Dimsbury, you have served us true and are a member of this party. We brave companions, said the ranger. We happy few, each in our own way, fulfilling a mystical and wondrous destiny. Yes, we are all sorry to have used you so badly, faithful Radic. Radic's jaw dropped. Could they be serious? Was it possible they were conning him rather than the other way around? He clacked his teeth together and pasted a smile across his sour mouth. Not at all, good sirs, said Radic. We are adventurers. Spirits run high with one so bold as we. Huzzah! cried the knight as he lifted his heavy blade in the air. Huzzah! cried the ranger clanging his blade against the sword of the man he was very recently going to run through. Huzzah! giggled the enchantress, clapping her hands together and sending a tiny fireball up to dance against the blades. You gotta be kidding, thought Radic, as he lifted his dagger in a half-hearted salute. A few hours later, they emerged from the forest into a strange clearing, and Radic announced, This is it. What do you mean? asked the ranger. Y you mean this? It's just a door in the side of a hill. And so it was. A frame and stout oak door had been incongruously installed into the side of a well-grassed mound, perhaps twenty-five feet high and fifty feet around. In front of the door was a reed mat that read, Go away. You expected a sign? asked Radic. Well, I... I don't know what I expected, 
said the ranger. That's why you hired me to be your guide. No, good fellow, protested the ranger. Don't wound me like that. You are no longer hireling, but boon companion, a full member of our brave band. Yes, yes, said Raddick. Let us to it, boon companions. He reached for the door, but before he could open it, the enchantress interrupted. Stop! We must first seek the supplication of Loranda. Her blessing will keep us safe during our time of trial. The knight and the ranger both drew their swords and knelt. Raddick rolled his eyes. Just get it over with. He didn't know how much more amateur hour he could take, but he consoled himself with the knowledge that it would all soon be over. The enchantress completed her babbling, and they ventured into the wizard's lair. It did not take long before the companions heard rumblings and gnashings of teeth from the darkness ahead of them. Raddick smiled in the darkness. The troll was still there, and he sounded hungry. Stay here, faithful companions, he said, playing it for all it was worth. I will use my mastery of stealth and shadow to scout the way. He handed his torch to the ranger. He took two steps forward into the darkness of the cave. With a flourish, he wrapped his cape of faded black around him and disappeared. Raddick heard his boon companions gasp as he disappeared. Oh, he's very good, said the enchantress. Raddick was good, but then so were his tools. The cape, as mean and worn as it looked, was a powerful magic item. It possessed three properties that Raddick knew of. One, when it closed, it imposed upon all who saw it a powerful desire to look elsewhere. Two, in anything from darkness to light shadow, it rendered the user invisible. And three, it was an item so enchanted as to be nearly impossible to steal from its rightful owner. Raddick had learned this the hard way, procuring this wonderful item only after killing its previous owner. Be thankful he did not charge us more, muttered the knight. Again, Raddick smiled at the nothingness of the dark. The bill for Raddick's services was about to come due, and the brave but stupid knight would find it held many hidden charges. Raddick took a few steps around the corner and squatted in the passageway. Faithful companions, how could they fall for that? Raddick wasn't sticking his neck out any farther than he had to. He waited for a time, and then unwrapped his cloak and returned to the pool of torchlight in which his brave, faithful, and gullible companions waited. As he stepped into the light, he donned an expression of fear. With a skill long practiced, he trembled as he spoke. It is a troll, my companions, a creature most large and fearsome. I fear it is more than we can defeat. We should turn back. Ha 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 laughed the knight, taking the bait. A troll? That is nothing to a knight of the Yarvan Dawn. And it is even less to the blessed and chosen of Azaz, said the ranger, revealing once again the strange mark branded on his arm. Raddick swallowed his disgust and said, You are so much braver and stronger than I. The knight drew his sword and said, Stay behind me and learn how it is done. Fear not, Raddick, for you are in the company of heroes. I shall not let you steal the glory, cried the ranger, as he shouldered the knight aside. Raddick couldn't believe it. The idiots charged. A frontal assault on a troll? They were so stupid it was a wonder they could even remember to breathe. The enchantress edged past him, smelling of exotic perfume. I will see if I can bind the creature with the mother's embrace. Stay behind me, and you will be safe. He followed her swaying hips through the corridor, for once grateful for torchlight. 
There was a roar and the stench of something awful. Raddock knew this to be the troll's breath. Nothing smells worse than rotting flesh trapped between teeth. When she saw the troll, the enchantress raised her arms and began casting a spell. As her hands wove their intricate pattern, Raddock slid his knife across her perfect white throat. She gasped as her life's blood poured down her neck and over the exquisite ruby necklace and into the deep valley of her heaving breasts. Before she could make another sound, Raddock covered her and dragged her into the darkness. She whimpered softly and grew weak. Raddock set her against the wall and removed his hand from her face. He lifted her chin and she mouthed the word, Raddock bent down and kissed the dying woman on the lips. Her eyes fluttered as her life left the husk of her body. Raddock pulled back and tore the necklace from her throat. Then he wiped the blood from it with a black silk handkerchief. In the distance, the screams of one of the chosen ones ended in a terrible, squishy, bone-crunching noise. Staring into the glittering facets of the ruby, Raddock answered the dead woman. Why? Because it was a kindness because there are worse things in the depths of this dungeon than you can imagine, because this is what happens when you choose to play a dangerous game. All of those are close, but if you really want the truth of it. He looked down from his prize and saw that she was dead. Because I can. Raddock threw the necklace on the oak counter and watched the light dance in it like a living thing. He nodded at it and asked, have you ever seen such exquisite workmanship? Boltak, the merchant on the other side of the counter, picked up the ruby necklace and examined it closely. He gave Radek a hard look. Boltak's eyes were sharp points swathed in a soft, round face. As he edged into middle age, it seemed that only his strong jaw saved his countenance from sloughing down his neck into flabbiness. After careful consideration, Boltak licked his thumb, rubbed the necklace's setting, and muttered, you missed a spot. Missed a spot? Asked Raddock, as smooth as water over river rock. Blood, Raddock. There's some blood left on this necklace. Raddock shrugged. Probably mine. I try to use stealth, but the orc I took it from put up quite a fight. Aha, uh -huh, Boltek said as he ran his hand across his shaven pate. Not that I want to know, but what is an orc? A fearsome new creature wreaking havoc on the good people of Robrecht. Aha, uh -huh, said Boltek, not buying it. And you, uh, count yourself among those good people? Of course. I am no mighty hero like some, but I do the small part that I can. Okay, Radic. I'm gonna make you an offer on your necklace here. The setting is crap, but the stone is very nice. But before I do, not for nothing. But orcs? You shit me, right? Oh no, stout merchant. I assure you, orcs are very real. Really? Kobolds, I heard of. Trolls, I heard of. Dragons, sure. But orcs? Come on. What does an orc look like? Gentle merchant, I hope that you never see one. But I assure you, if you do, you will know it for the orc that it is. Aha. <laughs> Let me tell you the fearsome tale of how I came to acquire this necklace and perhaps you will better understand the threat that the fearsome orc... You can spare me the story, Raddock, said Boltek. You don't enjoy tales of valor? asked Raddock with a smile. Tales of valor? No. I enjoy tales of profit. I don't know any sagas that involve tales of profit, said Raddock. 
but tales of valor, of great daring. The bards sing many songs of those. Yeah, I really don't care for singing, either. In fact, let's just cut all the bullshit. I'm pretty sure I know how you got this. Yes, purred Raddick, running his finger over the ruby. But do you care? Not if you take 15 gold for it, I don't. 15 gold? I risked my neck for this. You? I'm pretty sure you risk somebody else's neck for this particular bauble. Fine. 17 for the gem and 2 gold for the rest of it, Boltex said, indicating the pile of equipment on the floor. But this sword almost defeated a troll. Yeah, and it almost doesn't have that huge nick in it. And why does everything in that pile smell like troll shit? They haggled like this for a while and settled on a price of 22 gold for the lot. When Raddick left, Boltak muttered a curse and had to work to keep from spitting on his own floor. He placed the ruby in one of three lockboxes behind the counter and then dragged the bundle of equipment into the back to see how badly he had been taken. The sword was higher quality than he had hoped for, and there were a number of items that, while they wouldn't fetch top price, would provide good use. The odd piece of armor, some leather goods. He threw out a badly damaged boot and was debating about opening a nondescript fabric sack. Sacks could be trouble. For that matter, so could gems. He grunted as he stood up. He trudged wearily back to the front of the store. From beneath the counter, he produced a brass-tipped wand that was clipped to the underside of the thick oak. He took this wand to the back and guided it carefully over all the items. The wand did not grow warm or shriek or vibrate or do any of the many colorful and destructive things it did in the presence of magic. The wand was not merely a magic wand. It was a magic-detecting wand. Very rare. Very expensive. But for a man who dealt in items of unknown origins purchased from characters of questionable virtue, it was indispensable. Eh, grunted Boltak, more relieved than disappointed. Boltak hated magic. It wasn't just dangerous. It was also bad for business. When a customer can't try on a pair of gloves for fear that they would turn out to be a set of McGreef's gauntlets of self-abuse, business suffered. That's why he kept the wand secreted under his counter. Pick up a cursed ruby necklace and there was no telling what might happen. Before he had procured this wand, Boltak had spent six months with a cursed goblet of thirst stuck to his hand. And as annoying as that was, that wasn't the worst part. When liquid was poured into the goblet, it heated and burned the hand that held it. He rubbed the scarred flesh of his left hand. Ugh, magic. It always seemed like it should be useful, but its power always went awry. Maybe it was fate. Maybe it was karma. Maybe it was that wizards enjoyed a particularly cruel and ironic sense of humor. Whatever the reason, Boltak was certain that the world would be better off without magic. But there was nothing to be done about it. People may revile a merchant, but in the end, a merchant can only sell what the buyers want. He pulled on a stout thong that he wore around his neck, and with a jingling, a cluster of charms, tokens, and amulets emerged from beneath his tunic. He pawed at them for a while, until he came to an odd one cast in bronze. It was a small statue of one bull mounting another, the customary token of Dalios, Lord of the Deal. Dalios was a southern god, little known in cold Robrecht, but when it came to religions, Boltak didn't discriminate. Boltak was a superstitious man, but he prided himself on being able to make a deal with anybody. He kissed the bull with two backs and muttered a prayer of thanks to Dalios, that this time, at least, 
he hadn't been the bull on the bottom. Just then, the front door clattered against its crude copper bell. A customer. The lord of the deal smiled on Boltak today, and he hurried to see what fresh profit Dalios had seen fit to bring him. At the front of the store, Boltak found a strapping young lad, farm boy, no doubt, staring at a rack of swords with an open mouth. The boy was so entranced by the cold and lethal steel on the wall that he didn't even turn when Boltak entered the room. Boltak stepped behind the counter like a captain stepping out of the deck of his ship. Can I help you? I need a sword, said the farm boy, his eyes not leaving the weaponry. Then you have come to the right place. Welcome, my young friend, to Boltak's general store and dungeon outfittery. We have everything that a strapping young adventurer like yourself could need to loot your way to fame and glory. We? asked the lad, with the kind of innocence that can only come from hard work, clean living, and getting kicked in the head by livestock. Yes, the uh, royal we, or in this case, the shopkeeper's we. But there's only one of you. Yes, but I am so eager to help you, I will work as hard as two men. Now, what's the story? Who you got to stab? Who you going to loot? No, said the farm boy, hanging his head in embarrassment. It's not like that. I don't want to loot anybody. I, I just have to, I mean... I am about to embark on an adventure of high purpose and consequence. With this last phrase, Boltax's hopes rose. Maybe the kid was a little slow, but those fancy words sounded like money to Boltax. He smiled like a fleshy shark. My friend, you have come to the right place. High purpose and consequence is what we're all about at Boltax. Why, the Duke of Robrecht himself has granted me my license to purvey. He has an eye to quality, as Dukeship does, and his warrant of commerce personally guarantees that this, he indicated his dark, dusty store with an expansive gesture of his hands, is the finest merchandise you can buy in the town of Robrecht. But yours is the only store the Duke allows in the town of Robrecht. Yes, I see that you are a quick study, said Boltak, directing the man back through the shelves. I invite you to direct your keen wit towards my wares. Here we have an assortment of torches and oil-bearing devices. If you notice this one, with a curved blade on the handle, it's particularly good if you're surprised coming around a corner. Boltak turned the farm boy sharply and indicated a floor-to-ceiling rack of glass bottles. Here, of course, we have a major and minor healing potions, antidotes, ointments, and unguents of all kinds. A must for any prudent adventurer. These potions are brewed by the finest mercy and apothecaries and brought in by mule train once a month. Moving right along, Boltak directed his young shopper towards the racks in the back. And here is the armor, a must for all but barbarians and the most self-confident magic workers. You aren't a magic worker, are you? I don't think so, said the lad, a little overwhelmed by how fast this was all coming at him. Perfect. Then you got your choice of chain mail, split mail, ring mail, plate mail, plate armor, and far less protection, but the girls love it, leather armor. Feel that? Very supple. But what I need is a sword, protested the farm boy. Aha, said Boltak, which brings us back to lighting, a question of prominent importance to any adventurer. The farm boy looked longingly back at the swords. I know, I know, continued Boltak. You think the thing with the pointy end is the most important bit of gear you can buy. A hero's life depends on the strength of his blade. Sometimes. But there are two things I can guarantee you're going to need. One, water. Two, light. What about food? Eh, you can live for days without food. A strong lad like you could eat what he kills. But without water, 
Not so much. And the dark? Are you comfortable in the dark? I have walked this land at night since I was a small child. And now that you're a big child? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just having fun. My point here is, you know what lives far, far underground in the darkness? I do not, but I am ready to boldly face the unknown. Nah, you got no idea. For that matter, neither do I. But what I do know is that whatever horrible underground thing you mean to bash to a pulp in the name of your personal fame or fortune, you can bet that it can see in the dark. The farm boy stood there with a brave yet stupid look on his face. And you know what can't see in the dark? Uh, you. You can't see in the dark, can you? No. Then trust me, you pain in the ass. Take a lantern. In fact, take two and some torches, just in case. What about that one? The farm boy asked, pointing to a lamp that hung on its own peg high on the wall. Oh, that! You have a very good eye, my friend. That is the magic lantern of Lamptopolis. It cannot be broken, and it never goes out as long as it's carried. Lamptopolis? asked the farm boy. Okay, you caught me. I made it up, but it's a lantern, and it's clearly magic. It's beautiful. How does it work? It's magic. That's how it works. Some kind of glowing crystal in the center there. You pick it up, it turns on, but trust me, it, it can't be broken. How do you know that? Eh, you've never had apprentices, have you? Third rule of shopkeeping, if a thing can't be broken by an apprentice, it can't be broken. Now let me see here. It's got an inscription on it. Boltek wrangled the stepladder over to the wall and lifted the lamp from its resting place. As soon as he put a hand on its handle, the crystal in the center of the lamp flickered to life. Yeah, Boltek said, rubbing the dust from the letters that were cut into the bottom of the lantern's base. It says, burns with the flame of a true heart. Well, it's not much of a flame, is it? But at least you don't have to carry oil for it. He handed the lantern to the farm boy. As soon as the boy touched the handle, the lantern blazed with a brilliant light, so bright, Boltak realized that it had been a long, long time since he had cleaned the store. Then he closed his eyes to stop the pain. Wow, said the farm boy. Gimme that, snapped Boltak, snatching the lantern from the boy's hand. The lamplight returned to a dull flicker. How much is it? More than you can afford, Boltak grumbled as he hung the lantern back on the peg. That's okay, said the farm boy in a fresh-faced and agreeable way that made Boltak hate him all the more. What I really need is a sword. Maybe you do, and maybe you don't. Keep an open mind for me. We got pikes, bows, war hammers, battle axes, halberds, flails, morning stars, maces, and the largest selection of fine daggers this side of the mountains. I don't want a mace. I want a sword. Of course you do, and once again, Boltax has you covered. We got short swords, long swords, broadswords, rapiers, cutlasses, sabers, scimitars, shishkas, and slabas, and did I mention the finest selection of daggers of quality this side of the mountains? While it's true that most of our blades have never been tested in battle, this is in keeping with our philosophy of passing the savings and the glory on to you. Well, uh, I I'm afraid that... Afraid? A big strapping lad like you? Don't be ridiculous. Why, after you've been properly outfitted by Uncle Boltak, you'll have nothing to fear in this world. You'll be able to take on a dragon with one hand and an owlbear with the other. And therein lies the value of quality equipment. No, it it's just that... I'm afraid that those beautiful swords, his eyes grew wide as he looked at them, are all too expensive for me. The smile drained from Boltak's face. 
but he continued as if he had just been kicked in the wallet. Don't be silly. At Boltax, we have equipment to fit every budget. He kicked a bucket of swords that sat next to the counter. Have a look at our discount bucket. The farm boy pulled a sword from the bucket and then dropped it back in quickly. This sword still has blood on it. That's how you know it works. A gold piece gets you the pick of the barrel. A gold piece? said the lad, looking cornered. Well, said Boltak, who was starting to get a very bad feeling about this entire transaction. At Boltak's, there's always room to negotiate. But try a few. See if you like the balance and whatnot. I've been trying to save money to buy a sword, sir. Scrounging for herbs, seeing if anyone needs rats killed. But no one needs rats killed. And the countryside is bare for miles around, he trailed off. Boltak nodded understandingly. The only vermin that plagued Robrek was an infestation of down-on-their-luck adventurers. I understand how it is. Now, uh, how much did you say you've been able to save? Not enough, I'm afraid. So I was wondering if I could rent a sword. Rent a sword? Boltak shouted. Do you not see the sign? He asked, pointing to the sign, which clearly read, All sales final. I can't read, sir. Oh, of course not. Please, sir. It's so I can rescue the love of my life. She was taken, you see, abducted by scoundrels. Oh, well, that changes everything, said Boltak as his face grew hard. Tell me more, he asked as if it was a dare. Well, sir, she is a priestess of Dar. And, well, aren't they supposed to be virgins? Them priestesses of Dar? The young man blushed and said, It's more of a suggestion than a rule, sir. If you know what I mean, his face grew even more serious. But if it helps, I, I, I was a virgin, if, if you catch my drift. Help? How would that help? She's gone and gotten herself into trouble. I've gotten word from a friend that she's being held in a tower and requires a hero to rescue her. So, uh, what's keeping the broad from walking out of that tower herself? Broad? Sir, you speak of the love of my life. Uh, no offense, but your life hasn't been that long yet, and she's been placed at the top of a tower and sleeps a deathless sleep under an evil spell. Aha, uh-huh. that's a Sleeping Beauty, kid, Boltek said. He was about to explain that the Sleeping Beauty was the name of a con game, popular among some of Robrek's less-than-upstanding citizens, whereby a young man was seduced, lured into a trap, and relieved of any valuable items he might have. Like, for instance, a borrowed sword. But the farm boy had bolted from the barn, and Boltak could see that there was no catching him. Yes, she's a real beauty, sir. Asleep or awake, I knew you would understand. So, if I had the sword, I could go and rescue her. And there would certainly be treasure after I had defeated the monsters that had been set to protect her from all but the bravest and most faithful hero. Understand, I have no care for this treasure. Only my lady love. So all the valuables would be yours. All that for loaning me a sword. Boltak winced under the onslaught of the boy's sincerity. But just a sword? I mean, would armor help too? Yes, it would. But, and some healing potions. You know, just to be safe. Well, of course, but, and perhaps a flying steed. White, with large flapping wings. You have a flying steed? The boy asked in awe. Even if I did, you couldn't afford it. But we're talking about a loan. No, you're talking about a loan, 
I'm sorry. You're just going to have to find yourself another priestess of eternally questionable virtue, kid. Look, I'm not asking for armor or a flying horse. I'm just asking to borrow a sword. Boltak looked the boy dead in the eyes and said, I'm not giving you any discounts. It's not a discount. It's a loan. It's the worst kind of discount. It's a hundred percent discount. But, but I'd bring it back, maybe with a few nicks, but definitely covered in glory. Oh, glory, is it? Would that enhance the retail value? Yes, yes, he said eagerly, unaware of the trap he was falling into. Because you're such a great fighter. Yes, that's it. Powerful, strong, Boltak prompted. Yes, ready for danger from any quarter. I might not look like much, sir, but I'll be a mighty hero yet. And all you need is a sword. Is that right? Yes, please, sir, please. Haven't you ever been young and in love? Boltak's face soured. I was never young. Look, kid, I'm not going to loan you a sword, but I do have an old mace I keep behind the counter, you know, in case of trouble. It's not much to look at, but it's always been lucky for me. I like to think it would be good luck for you. Would you like to see it? Very much. Boltak lifted the mace up from behind the counter. As he raised the weapon high in the air, the lad's trusting, cow-like eyes followed it, studying every detail of the well-worn wood, the wrapped leather handle, and the business end studded with heavy iron nails. Boltak saw the lad move from disappointment to hope. Yes, his eyes seemed to say, a mace. I could do it with a mace. That's when Boltak hit him right between the eyes and knocked him out cold.